Super, thank you. Yes. All right. What a privilege to be here, be back last week. Thank you for praying for us as we were down at Mitchell installing the new pastors down there, and it was a powerful time, and, uh, but we're glad to be home. Just love being home. And uh, this morning, I'm very excited to continue what I started a couple weeks ago. We were talking about um, uh, the different reasons why we go through trials and persecution and struggles in our life. And so we talked about the first four. Today I want to talk about the fifth one because it, it needs its own message just on this one. Who can tell me that they remember one of the reasons why people have trials? Just shout it out. Brooke, you have to wait. Dennis. Yes, we do it to ourselves. Very good. What's another one? Anybody remember? Or you watch the video? God allows it for a purpose, right? Okay, Brooke, you want to do one? He took yours. <laughs> What's another one? Life. Yeah, life just happens. You know, tornadoes, pandemics, things like that, although people get mixed up in that. And there was one other one. Pardon? Yeah, the railroad. Other people do something to you. <laughs> I didn't say that. Jay said it. Now we're on we're on uh, we're on the air we're not on the air we're we're on Facebook live and it's so good that we have others that are listening and joining with us this morning so exciting well today I want to talk about the fifth reason which is the devil made me do it or the devil did it to me and uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about dealing with our enemy with dealing with the enemy our spiritual attack and uh, how many of you have heard of C.S. Lewis a famous Christian author. Most of you. And C.S. Lewis is famous for saying many things, but one of the things he says is that most Christians are either fall into one of two camps. They either don't believe in the literal devil and that, that he's, he's like, there's no such thing. I, I never have anything. The devil doesn't affect my life. And then the other end of that, the other extreme, is that everything that happens bad to me is because of the devil. And they give the devil so much credit. He's like this huge thing in their lives, and, and God is really small. So I'm here to tell you that neither one of those extremes is accurate. Really, in the middle is more accurate. First of all, the, there is very much a real spiritual enemy who is a person. And we read about him all through the Old and the New Testament. He's called the devil or Satan or Lucifer. There are many other names for him. And um, in, in Revelation, he's actually called the dragon, Revelation chapter 12. And uh, so he's very real, and he has these minions. Uh, we saw the movie Minions recently. They're different kind of minions. They're the bad minions. And uh, there are some bad minions in the movie. But um, those are called demons, and they're also other fallen angels. And uh, there's more we could talk about that, but this is not the morning to do it. And um, But... The really cool thing is, is the devil is not the source of all your problems. He's not the source of a lot of, the, of all the evil in the world. Humans are involved in a lot of that, and we do a lot of it ourselves. But there is, there are many things that are the result of spiritual attack and of our enemy involved in our lives. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Our Western worldview in the United States tends to 
treat more the idea that there's no such thing as a real devil. But we're here to say that's not what the Bible teaches, and we believe what the Bible teaches, and it's very, very clear. So I want to start first this morning and talk about a concept called kingdom displacement. Again, if you want notes, you can go to your app on the Calvary app. In fact, then those notes on your app on your phone, if you get onto that, you can actually touch the scriptures and they pop open. So your references are right there. There's also about eight or nine copies on the corner of the cabinet shelf over there by the kitchen. You're welcome to get up and grab one of those if you want to follow along. And I encourage you to use that for a devotional sheet, and it'll help you during the week if you answer those questions. It's going to take you deeper in your faith, and there's scriptures there that I'm not going to get to or be able to open this morning, but just make a reference to that you'll be able to look at and meditate on. So the, this idea of kingdom displacement, it's the idea of when, you, when I was a, a teenager, I got a job at a gas station, and one of my jobs was doing oil changes. And one day, um, I put the oil in the car, I put too much oil in, and there wasn't room for it. And the oil, the, the car wouldn't run. It had six quarts of oil in it instead of four. And, uh, and so my boss had to explain to me the principle of displacement. You can only fill something where there's room to fill it. And if the, you've already filled it with oil, there's no more room for more oil to go in. It'll go everywhere else, but it won't go in the crankcase of your car. In the same way, we as people have room in our hearts, in our souls, for either God or other things. You've probably heard about there's a, there's a God-shaped place in your soul for the Lord that only the Lord can fill. And that's very true. And yet, many times before we come and meet Jesus, we've tried to cram other things down in that hole, trying to satisfy our need to feel like we've got, we're filled with something good. And so this idea of, of uh, kingdom displacement when it comes to the spiritual realm is this. This earth was filled, with, when Jesus first came, was filled with the enemy and his power and his working in many ways. When Jesus came, the lives of thousands of people that he contacted were already controlled by demonic spiritual powers. But when Jesus came, he began to displace those forces and bring his kingdom his influence, his control into the lives of men and women and children that he, they were all around him in the nation of Israel, in Palestine. So Jesus explained this concept to us in Luke 11. He says in verse 18 through 22, If Satan is divided and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom survive? If I'm casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived, and the word literally means progressed or advanced or increased among you. For when a strong man is fully armed and guards his palace or his place, his possessions are safe until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off his belongings. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. 
So Jesus said that when he was casting out spirits, demons out of people, then his kingdom was increasing. And the devil's kingdom was decreasing. He explained that the devil has a kingdom and he has a kingdom. Now we read in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 that Satan is actually called the God of this world. Did you know that? The God of this world. Not a God in the sense of the overall God, but this is where he exerts his influence and his authority is in this earth among the population, the people of this world. He's also said in Ephesians 2, 2 that he's called the prince of the power of the air. In other words, he, a prince there means a person of authority. It means he operates in our atmosphere around us. And so when Jesus begins to move in people's lives and his power engages and touches them, Satan's kingdom diminishes and Jesus' kingdom increases. And this is going to be an ongoing conflict and an ongoing progression of Jesus' kingdom increasing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Like it says in Daniel, the, the increase of his kingdom will know no end until it fills the earth. And the culmination of that we read in Revelation I believe it's 19, where it says, the angel, no, it's Revelation 11, the angel stands up and says, now has come, the kingdom of our God and of his Christ is fully here. There is a point in the book of Revelation where the enemies lost all of his power on earth. And Jesus is now fully reigning. His kingdom has increased completely. And all that's left is the judgment to come. So we just read this verse, and it says that with a strong man is fully armed and guards his palace, and his, and his possessions are safe until someone stronger comes and disarms him and takes away his stuff. Who's the strong man? The devil, yes, or demonic force. Demonic forces are those personalities that work for the devil, that are under his authority in his kingdom. So if they are the strong man, and they do have strength, right? They have strength, and they have ability to infect and influence people's lives. But who is the stronger man? Jesus is your stronger man. I hope, I hope he's your stronger man this morning. So does that mean we humans have our own kingdom too? We got God's kingdom and we have the enemy's kingdom. Do we have a kingdom? No, we don't. We are either under the influence of one or the other. Years ago, Bob Dylan, the singer, said, sang, wrote a song, and I can't sing it like him, but it goes like this. You got to serve somebody. Kind of like Bob Dylan sounds, kind of weird, nasally voice. But he, he would basically say that you, you, you don't, you're either going to serve the devil or you're going to serve God. You're only fooling yourself if you think you are going to be in charge of anything. We're either following and, and the enemy is ruling in our lives or Jesus is ruling in our lives. So who's ruling in your life this morning? That's a very important question. So Jesus' ministry was actually threefold. When he came to earth, he did three main things. He shared good news. He healed people. 
both physically, emotionally, and he also cast out or expelled demons, those demonic forces, out of people's lives. And he did a lot of this, what we call deliverance ministry. Jesus was dealing with demons almost every day when we read the Gospels. And we're going to look at a couple instances in just a minute, but I want to read this. You'll see this threefold emphasis of what Jesus did. In Luke 4, verse 18 and 19, he, Jesus is in Nazareth, and he tells everybody, he's reading in, in the synagogue, he pulls out Isaiah, turns to Isaiah 61, and he reads this passage. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That's that good news sharing, right? He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. That's which, which, which part of his ministry is that? We call it deliverance, spiritual freedom from demonic forces. That the blind will see. What was that? Healing, yeah. That the oppressed will be set free. What's that? Deliverance, again. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. What's that? Good news? The time of the Lord's favor? Is that good news for you? Yeah, I hope so. And then he tells those people, today, this prophecy is fulfilled. Can you believe Jesus said that? Today, this Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah, like five, six hundred years earlier than him, is fulfilled in your presence by me. He was basically saying, I am God's Messiah, God's anointed one. In Luke chapter 9, verse 37 through 43, I'm just going to read verse 42 and 43, we read an example of Jesus doing two of these three things. He actually does the third, it's just not mentioned. It said a, there was a boy that had epilepsy, but it was an epilepsy that was definitely caused by a demonic spirit. And it said when the boy came forward, the demon knocked him to the ground and threw him into violent convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the spirit. And what is a rebuke? It's, it's a command. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's tell him, get out. Okay? And he rebuked the spirit and he healed the boy. So you see there, there that out of the three things, telling good news, delivering people from demonic forces, and healing, Jesus did two in the life of that young man. And awe gripped the people as they saw his, this majestic display of God's power. So a really important question for you on, that you probably have, at least I have, is how do I know that I, that my problem, that my trial is a demonic or a devil-initiated trial, and it's not just me or some other, some other trial? How do I know that I am dealing with a demonic influence in my life? Anybody ever wonder that, or is that a question that you even care about? I hope so, because you're going to run into people that have these kinds of problems in your life. And, and I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands. When we first came to this church, Brooke reminded me this morning, I think in the first Sunday we talked to five people that said, We've got stuff going on in our house. Things are moving. Things are happening that are weird. And we don't know what to do about it. And we started going to people's homes 
and um, praying with them and, and cleaning their houses out, helping them learn how to clean their houses out spiritually. So I will ask this question. How many of you have ever felt like something that happened to you or your family was, was definitely not from God but was from the enemy? Anybody? Okay. Nobody's ever had nightmares that you felt like, man, where did that come from? That's, that's, the enemy sends dreams too, you know. Not just God. Not just too much pizza. Or maybe sauerkraut around here. So, No, definitely. So we have all through our lives in ministry have encountered people that have been dealing with demonic-based issues. Not that they don't have other reasons for their problems, like medication isn't balanced, or maybe they were really deeply wounded and, and hurt as a young person in their family of origin, and they're dealing with rejection, or in some cases people are dealing with disassociation or schizophrenia. And, uh, you know, we had a guy that I... Uh, ministered to many times when we were in Oregon that said he had voices talking to him all the time. But it turned out that in his case, it wasn't so much a, a demonic issue as that he had schizophrenia and he was not taking his medication. So I was trying to cast demons out of this guy and it wasn't a demon problem. But I've had other situations where we've seen people that the, the doctors are giving a medication, but it wasn't a medication that wasn't the answer. It was a spiritual problem. And that's why we need to ask Holy Spirit, give me understanding, give me discernment, and always stop and pray and ask the Lord, Lord, what is going on here? Because God wants to show us what's going on if we're sincere in our asking, because He wants to work through us to see people set free. You believe God wants to set people free? Man, I do. I really do. So a related question is, when is something in my life just an issue with my flesh, my fleshly appetites, like hunger, thirst, loneliness, desire for sex, all these appetites that we have? When is it a flesh thing and when is it a demonic thing? That's a really important question because, I don't know, I remember as a young man struggling with my appetites, and, and saying, God, why is it I keep struggling? And I actually went through a deliverance and was immediately changed by having a spirit, a, a, an unclean spirit, commanded to leave out of my life when I, right before I married Brooke. And it's, this happens all the time, so it's not something you'd be shocked by. It should be something we're actually seeing happen a lot more because I believe there are so many people that are dealing with these issues and just assuming that it's, that it's a medication or a health or a mental issue, and it's not. In many cases, it's not. So Derek Prince, um, a teacher that passed away, I think, in uh, around uh, 2000 or maybe the 90s, he, he did a really uh, good teaching on this that I actually uh, put a link on. You'll see it in a little bit. It's in the notes. But um, he, he gives, I think, nine different verbs that'll help you isolate, determine whether it's the enemy or it's just your flesh. And those are, I'm just going to read them off real quick, enticement, which is not just normal temptation, but it's where something is, you just can't leave it alone. It's, you are driven, and this thing just, it's a continual temptation, no matter what you do, if you fast and pray, 
It'll continue to, you continue to be enticed by it. Harassment, where you feel like you're just being harassed by the enemy. Tormented, where you feel like you're being tortured. Many times people that have not been able to forgive will experience torment. And it's a, it can be a demonic thing in Matthew 18. Uh, being compelled or compulsions, being driven. We often just say that's just an addiction, but it may have many times be a demonic thing. A sense of being enslaved by something where you just don't have any control. Defilement, where you feel continually dirty and unclean. Deception, feeling like your, your life is being weakened. And we know the enemy also is, is called a murderer when you feel like he's taking your life away from you. And kind of a general uh, word for people that are, could very well be dealing with the demonic is that they are unable to have peace. They're always restless. So if that's you this morning and you're saying, yeah, this is me, I'm, I, just, I'm, I can't find peace, I pray that you will come for prayer because it very well could be that this is a spiritual issue and not just a mental thing or a needing your, your medication adjusted. But we always want to pray and ask God to show us what it is. So what do I do? I'm going to give you three things, what you do about it if you think you might be dealing with a demonic issue or a loved one might be dealing with a demonic issue. The first thing is to come under God's authority. Come under God's authority. Peter says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Sanctify means to put Him first. Make Him the most important in your life. Jesus said that people, Jesus basically taught us that unless you're under authority, under God's authority, you're not going to have any authority. You cannot wield authority in your life unless you're under authority. In Acts chapter 19, he talks about, Paul talked about a group of Jewish exorcists. They were traveling around and they found a guy that was full of demons and they told the demons in, in the name of Jesus that Paul preached, come out of him. And the demons actually talked back and they said, well, we know who Jesus is and we know about Paul, but who are you? And they jumped on him and beat him and stripped him of his clothes. Aren't you glad you weren't that, that group of people? Holy cow. And so those people had the right words, but they didn't know and they weren't under the authority of Jesus. So the first thing for you to have authority in your life is to be under God's authority if you want to do, be able to deal with the enemy at all. Secondly, clean and fill your house. Clean and fill your house. In Luke 11, Jesus, we talked about that. Jesus said when a demon leaves somebody and then that person cleans their house up and it's nice and clean but empty, the demon comes back to check later and says, oh, my house is all nice and clean. And demons always want to find a new home, a new body to inhabit. And so he comes back, but he brings seven more friends with him. And the state of that person is much worse than when he first had a demon, one demon living in him. So it's very important that we fill our house. And this is where we say, Holy Spirit, now that you've freed me from this spirit, come and fill me with you. So there's no room for, me, for Holy Spirit to be displaced out of my life. There's that principle of displacement again. So we come under God's authority, we clean and fill our house. And again, I pointed out a couple weeks ago that if, you, if you've got rats, if you've got rats in your house in the sense, if you've got spiritual unclean things in your home, it may be because they're attracted to something. 
We used to shoot rats at the garbage dump because that's the garbage attracts the rats. And so if you've got rats, it's always good to say, oh, Lord, is there any garbage either that I brought in or maybe somebody before me who lived in my home or lived in my whatever, um, that somebody else was doing something in the cult or something uh, with area of sin, continual sin, or whatever, and open the door to the enemy to come in. If that's the case, we need to get the deal with that, and we're going to talk about how to do that in a sec. And then we need to get filled, ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with himself. The third thing to do after coming under God's authority and cleaning, asking God to clean and fill your house, is to do what Jesus did, expel the demons. When it says he cast them out, it literally means he expelled. It's like expelling a breath. Use your God-given weapons. God has given each one of you and me weapons to deal with our spiritual enemies. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, I like this children's Bible, says, we fight with weapons that are different from those the world uses. Our weapons have power from God. These weapons can destroy the enemy's strong places. So God's given us weapons. Those weapons are the word of God as we speak and declare. Use the name of Jesus. We plead the blood of Jesus over situations. Mo many of us pray in a prayer language, an unknown tongue. That is a powerful weapon against the enemy. And that's something I encourage every believer to seek. I believe it's available. And we'd be glad to talk to you and pray with you if you're seeking that. Because it does, it is a powerful weapon. Always ask before you try casting demons or expelling demons. Always ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to show you what's going on. Why is it there? Some things do mimic demonic forces. And I met a guy that was on ecstasy when I was at the Open Door Mission. He took a cocktail of a bunch of drugs at a party and he was doing everything. It looked to me like he was manifesting demons. He was on the floor, writhing around and foaming at the mouth. You know what? We tried casting demons out of him and nothing was happening. Turned out later we found out he took all these drugs. So it was a drug problem, not a demon problem. But many times it is a demon problem and we need to know what it is and be able to deal with that. Be ready to minister to the whole person because someone who's been dealing with demonic issues is often very broken in their soul. They need love, they need care, they need to know forgiveness, they need to be prayed for, many times for physical healing, for God to, to heal their brain and their, their, uh, their wiring and their head. And then a third thing there is never to cast demons out of somebody that doesn't want them to go. There are people that are comfortable with their spiritual forces. There are people that have special powers because of that. The Apostle Paul had a woman following him and his workers in the city of Philippi, and they were going around, and this lady was using demonic power to, to tell people's fortunes, and it was making a lot of money for her master. And when Paul finally, in frustration, cast the demon out of this girl because it was plaguing him, then he got in trouble with her masters because she couldn't tell anybody's future anymore. And these people ended up throwing Paul, beating him up, throwing him in jail. So some people don't want their demons to go. Don't force them. So two quick examples, and we're going to wrap this up, of Jesus casting out demons in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, 
he went into the synagogue and began to teach. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed, the word possessed is not a good translation, influenced is a much better translation. The original word simply means he was demonized, influenced by a demon. No believer, no, no human being can be possessed by Satan completely. Even the gathering demoniac who had 6,000 demons in him came and, and bowed at the feet of Jesus. So don't ever believe that you can be possessed. You can be influenced. Even believers could be influenced if they have not yielded parts of their body or their soul to the Lord. So this guy who was influenced by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? The us indicating there was more than one of them. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, Be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of teach, new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority, even evil spirits obey his orders. So did those spirits recognize Jesus? Oh, yeah. Who did they know him to be? Yeah, the Holy One of God, God's Messiah. They recognized that. Did they have, did they, did they, were they able to resist Jesus? No. And neither will they be able to resist you if you command them to leave. In Luke 13, we read a second instance. On one Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. He saw a woman who had been crippled. Physical problem here, physical condition. Crippled by an evil spirit. She'd been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Now what was that? He said to her, You are healed of your sickness. What was the weapon Jesus used? You guys are so quiet. Yeah, he ordered it. He, he ordered, basically, said, this is the way it's, reality is now going to be for you. You're healed. He declared something that immediately forced that evil spirit to leave. Then he touched her. There's a second weapon there. And instantly she could stand straight. Can you imagine seeing a person bent over like this, all of a sudden go, Whoom! that must have been amazing. I wish I could have seen that. And she praised God. How she praised God. This, and then Jesus, uh, Jesus says to the woman later on, This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? Because they were criticizing Jesus for doing that on the Sabbath. So how did Jesus free the woman? He gave a command. And then he touched her. Wow. Instant. Jesus gives the same power to you and me to do the same thing. In fact, he counts on you and me to continue his ministry in our world. How many of you are ready for that? I hope you are. You're never going to be completely ready for that, okay? When God uses you, it's going to terrify you because it's going to be way out of your comfort zone. But it's also going to increase your faith as God uses you. This happened to me 
with uh, three or four people when I was in college. I, had, I, went, I got thrown into four situations where I was dealing with demonic forces, and God used me to be part of a team to cast demons out of people, and it, it caused a huge change in me over time. And God wants to use you. In Luke 9, or yeah, Luke 9 Jesus says he called the, together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to expel all demons and to heal all diseases. Wow. Then he sent them out to tell people, everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And then in Luke 10, just a, a chapter later, then Jesus picked 72 more of his disciples and sent them out to do the same thing. And when the 72 returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. There's another weapon that you have in your arsenal. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. There's that displacement. When the Spirit of God came in, his kingdom increased. The devil's kingdom diminished. And he says, look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can even trample on snakes and scorpions, which are metaphors for spiritual, unclean spiritual forces, and crush them. Nothing will injure you. Wow, that's so powerful. So who does Jesus give authority to? His followers, those who are committed to doing what he asks them to do. And you're going to get thrown into it if you follow Jesus. And this morning, I really want to challenge you. Melissa brought some great challenges this morning. But I want to challenge you also. Are you willing to let God use you to deal with spiritual enemies in people's lives? as well as your own life. Some of you parents are going to have to do this for your kids. We have, our oldest son was tormented by spirits that were visiting him at night when he was about five or six years old. He would come to us in the morning weeping, saying, Mommy and Daddy, the dragon came back. And he, what was it? Monster came back, and he was tormenting me. And uh, we kept going. We kept praying for Gabriel and praying. And what happened? And finally, one night, Jesus came and gave him a sword and he was able to kill that thing with a sword. Isn't that amazing? But I believe God used our prayers and we were praying with our son and God used him. God taught him how to use spiritual weapons. And the sword usually is connected with the power of God's word. Wow. And I, read, I shared this story um, a couple weeks ago, but Mark Shaw, a friend of mine, a minister who was in Croatia, uh, went to a family, uh, he, uh, he said, I ministered to a family coming out of generational witchcraft. And those are the, rat, the rats, where the rats get in through witchcraft is one way. The eight-year-old is horrified of the dark. At night, her bed moves. Doors open and close and battery-operated toys go off and on. It was a case of, we thought in case it was an active imagination, maybe TV or movie inspired. So we asked the mother and father if they also witnessed these things happening. And they said, yes. Absolutely. Whenever she screams, they run into her room and they see it all happening. So it says, we dealt with, he says, I dealt with those spiritual influences in the name of Jesus. There's one of our weapons. First, they made Jesus Lord of their lives. Then we prayed to make Jesus Lord of their home, taking authority over every spiritual force and filling their home with his peace. They wept as the Lord filled them with joy and peace. And they've not had 
any more of those problems in their home. All right, so we're closing with some questions for you guys. These are dialogue questions. I want to encourage you to throw out answers, okay? Are you under the stronger man this morning? Is Jesus in control? Is he the Lord of your life? That's the most important question. If, you don't, if he's not your Lord, if he's not the stronger man in your life, then you're going to be subject to torment by the strong man, the demon forces in this earth, and you don't want that. Have you cleaned out and filled your house? Have you thought about, is there anything in my home, in my life, that the Lord would not be proud of, would not be pleasing to him? We used to talk about our home, our life being like a house full of rooms. And there were some rooms we had the door locked and hidden things in there. Are we willing to open every closet to Jesus and let him be Lord of every memory, of everything that we kind of like to do, and are we keeping him out of any areas of our house? And then are we allowing, are we asking Holy Spirit to come and fill us with His Spirit? Third, what things attract rats in your life or could attract rats? And again, these are so many things. Occult activity is a big one we mentioned. Be involved, watching pornographic movies or reading that kind of material or even, in some cases, horror movies can open door through trauma and fear. There's a lot of different things you could, you could answer that. Fourth question, how do you know a person has that it's a demon problem and not a flesh problem? And that was one we didn't really get to go into in much detail, but really the crux of it is, is that when it is a demon problem, the appetite is just way out of normal. And, it's, it's, and it becomes such an impulsion. It's, you're driven, and it's an addiction. And you, you're, you're restless and you can't find peace. And you, no matter how much you fast and pray and read the word, you, ne- you cannot get victory. That indicates it's most likely a demonic problem. Yeah. It is. Okay. Oh, what is your threefold ministry to others? I added that later. Your threefold ministry to others is what Jesus' threefold ministry was. Who can say one of those? What was that? Loud? Good news, yes. Healing, yes. And deliverance or demonic dealing with demonic issues. Those are three things that Jesus was always doing. And I believe that if we really could pull back the curtain and really see the demonic influence going on in our culture, we would see an awful lot more that would shock us that actually is the enemy involved. How do you know one person... Oh, excuse me. I'm going to go up to verse 6. Where are you on the scale of the, this scale of engagement in spiritual warfare? This is for all you, particularly you guys in particular, but for everybody. Are you inexperienced and terrified and just avoiding the whole issue? A lot of people are. This is not for you to say out loud, but it's for you to, to consider. Or secondly, do you realize that this is real? There's no DMZ zone, no neutral place that you can hide and not be touched by the enemy. And you want to learn how to use your spiritual weapons. I hope that's where you guys are. Thirdly, are you actively engaged in spiritual battles as the enemy attacks you and you're developing in confidence in dealing with the enemy? Particularly, I, I hope you guys as parents are learning how to do this. So we're going to uh, do something for you in a second about that. But you, you're not going to develop confidence until you learn that Jesus' name has power, that Jesus' blood has power. 
that the enemy hates it when people pray in an unknown tongue, in a prayer language. The enemy hates the name of Jesus. And demons actually recoiled that I've dealt with when I've used the name of Jesus. And they hate it. And they hate worship music. They hate it when people worship the Lord. And then finally, um, are you a seasoned warrior living from a place of authority and great peace? I hope that we've got a bunch of those in the house here. And then finally, are you doing these healthy warfare, spiritual warfare habits in your life and your home? Are you praying with authority over your loved ones for the enemy to be gone out of their lives and not influence them? Are you rebuking illnesses and oppressions when you sense and discern that it's not just a, a cold or a flu? Sometimes the enemy brings illnesses on us and we need to rebuke those things. Jesus dealt with the spirit of infirmity or sickness many times. And thirdly, are you anointing your home's doorposts and, and the lintel and the doorpost? The lintels are the two sides. The doorpost is the top. What I do in my house periodically, especially when we feel like there's an oppression, I, I put oil here, a little bit of oil here, a little bit of oil here. This is reminiscent from Exodus where it talks about they, they place the blood from the sacrifice of the Passover lamb on their doorposts and the lintels on their door. And uh, that when the, when the angel saw that, the angel of judgment passed over. We do it as a symbol that we are saying that in Jesus' name, enemy, you're not allowed in this house. We command you to stay outside those doors. Now this oil, does this oil have magical powers? No, it doesn't. It's just, it's just anointing oil. This is particularly has got, uh, it's got frankincense and myrrh and another, I um, can't think of the name of the other one, but um, all these. So it's just oil, okay? But it's a symbol and it's a tactical thing that you do that invites, you're inviting the Holy Spirit of God to come. You're inviting the authority of Jesus in your home. So the last thing I want to do this morning is I purchased 30 bottles of anointing oil to give to heads of household in this congregation. If you're a single woman, you get one. If you're a husband, you get one. If, you, if your husband's unsaved or not walking with the Lord, you get one. If your wife is unsaved and not walking with the Lord, you definitely get one. So I'd like to give one to everybody, but I'm not going to go pass them out. If you want one, you've got to come up and get it, which is telling the Lord and telling me, yes, I take this seriously and I want to be faithful to pray for my home and to see the enemy, his influence broken and not allowed to come and operate in my family or in my life. All right, so I'm going to close in prayer, and then I encourage you to come up um, to get a, an oil vial. They're made out of glass. They've got a very small plastic hole, so you can just put a little bit on your thumb or finger and use this. Yeah, don't, don't what? Yeah, don't leave them in a hot place. Keep them kind of cool, like in, a shat, in the shade, in your desk or something. So, Gracious God, I just thank you, Jesus, that you are king, that before you every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And even when you were on earth, the demons were doing that because they didn't have any choice. They hated it, but they have to acknowledge that you are the Son, the Holy Son of God. And Lord, I thank you that you give us those weapons of our warfare that we might deal with the spiritual attacks that come in our lives and the influence of the enemy. 
And Lord, I just thank you. And Father, I ask in Jesus' name that every demonic spirit, every unclean spirit that is in influencing this congregation would be exposed in Jesus' name. And that, Lord, you would help your people, Lord, take a hold of these spiritual weapons we've talked about and use them to command the enemy to leave them alone and to be gone off their house, off their property, off their body, off their kids, off their stuff. And Lord, I just thank you, Lord, that this is a very important area that we could talk about today. And it's, it's kind of weird for some people, but it's very biblical. And I pray you'd help us, Lord, to stand up in our authority that we are your sons and daughters. And God, when we are in you and under your authority, Lord, the enemy cannot hurt us. And we have authority to hurt him and to command him to go. And we just resist him in the name of Jesus. We thank you for this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to ask our prayer people to come up and be available.